0: Well, good morning. 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 I'll echo what Pastor Carol said, and that is we're really glad you're joining us today. It's a great day to be alive. And before we get started, let me just pray. Father, in accordance with Ephesians 1, we just ask for a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him to be released to everyone who's watching and for us here in this auditorium. We ask your blessings on this morning. We, We believe that no matter where we are or what we are doing, that you can reach us and that you have something. And so, Lord, we ask you to release that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And it's really interesting that it happened at this time because just a few years ago we wouldn't have been able to meet like this. We would have had to uh, not use a camera, which would have been okay with me. But I'm getting used to it. I'm getting used to it. But I normally start with a little something pick-me-up, so I'm going to do it anyway. And then I've asked Alan next time if he would provide a laugh track so that it can be running afterwards. <laughs> I figure we can borrow one from a game show somewhere. So I've been reading a lot of things about the virus, as you have too, and, and all the stuff that's happening. And uh, my, one of my sons told me about a tweet, and I'm gonna paraphrase it because I don't have the exact tweet, but it, it was humorous to me. And it said that this is for sure a conspiracy because they had to shut everything down so they could change the batteries in the pigeons. Because nobody's ever really seen a baby pigeon. (laughs) There you have it. All the mystery is solved. (laughs) Obviously, I'm kidding. Please don't act like that's real. Uh, Many other opinions and articles, of course, I've read as well. And everyone knows something different, and everyone has an opinion, and some are positive, some are negative, some are hopeful, some are apocalyptic. And I realized that uh, after reading them all, that I was either happy or sad or flat. It looked like an EKG. It would be just depending on what I read next. Of course, you don't want it to be flat too long. But uh, I was pretty much moved. You know, it's like, yes, something positive. I'm standing on this. And then you hear something negative, and it's like, Ugh, not again. So, um, but this is a time for encouragement, actually. And it's a time to really sort out who you are, what you believe, and your walk with God in it, with no fear, dread, or condemnation. Just a self-evaluation time, Uh, really of personally, where are you with God? I mean, this is the best time to do it personally because you can't be around anybody anyway. And uh, I don't think this is the end, personally. I don't know if it's you know it depends on who you talk to. It could be the The end of the beginning of the end, or the end of the middle of the end, or the beginning of the end of the end. I don't think it's any of those, because that's too confusing. But I think it is a good dry run. And I know that myself and others, at times, I've said, you know, I just don't have time. And I was praying yesterday, and I felt like the Lord said, I think you do now. And I think we all do. We have time. We can't use that excuse anymore. And God is after some things. Uh, like actually believing what Jesus has said. And I found this slide, which will come up here. Jesus, do not worry about anything. Me, should I worry about the coronavirus? Jesus, I'll talk slower. (laughs) Because we hear him, we ignore him, and then we ask him again. And uh, so I got tickled at that. And that's how often I read scripture, and actually, if you hear people that are uh, promoting and declaring promises, they're usually partial. They're not the whole thing. They, they didn't really read the whole thing or they didn't listen to the whole thing. And to actually believe what he says, you have to know exactly what he said, not just the part you want to believe, which is really convenient, or adjusting it to my own ideas. You know, I make God in my own image if I'm not careful. I carry him around and adjusting. And it reminded me of a passage in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 5. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nonetheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. In other words, they had experienced all of this miraculous stuff and then went to the wilderness and failed miserably. And uh, I was in Uganda a couple weeks ago, uh, three now, and uh, was sitting in the in the lounge, and a, a Ugandan who lived in New York came up, and he had a book, and it's uh, a story of uh, Joseph Kony's bodyguard. Joseph Kony is the a uh, warlord in northern Uganda. He's been pillaging, and he's a, not, he's a very evil person. His bodyguard escaped. And so when I read the title, which I don't think... Oh, yeah, When the Walking Defeats You, and it reminded me of this passage in Corinthians, because when uh, the, the guy's name is George in the book because they're trying to make sure he doesn't get... He, Kony's still around and doing stuff. So uh, anyway, he escaped, and he said that we never stopped walking. It was constant, and they were more afraid of stopping walking than they were of bullets. He said walking will defeat you quicker than bullets will. And then the author is from Albania, who actually walked from Albania to Greece when he was 16 to escape communism and and all these other things and so they made an instant connection and began to talk about this book which i think he interviewed him for nine years uh, wrote the book and the title came from their initial conversation about walking in first corinthians 10 verse 5 they failed when they were walking they didn't make it in the walk they'd already uh They'd seen everything God had done, and yet when they started walking in the wilderness, they couldn't make it. And you know what? The wilderness defeated them, and sometimes it defeats us. Because we've experienced supernatural power and provision. If you're born again, you have already been renewed and completely remade. There is nothing greater in the universe than that. And yet, we still struggle with our walk. And it's a bit of a troubling um, pattern at least in, in my life and I'm sure in yours at times that and this time is definitely a wilderness time for us it's not something that's fun it's not something anybody in my lifetime has ever experienced on a global uh, scale and God is going after stuff in us he's trying to fix us because he wants to do some amazing things in the world and until we deal with our stuff he will not release himself he will not release his power and even now I mean honestly most of us are not suffering we're bored unless you forgot to buy toilet paper then you have to wait for the leaves to come out but we all have stuff there are things we carry that we're not supposed to be carrying there are things that have attached themselves to us over the years, that we have allowed to stay there. And they're a lot like a barnacle on a ship. Have you ever seen a, you can't see them. They're just under the water. And whenever they raise them to clean them, there's all these things attached to the ship. And that's the picture I have of what's going on in my life as God's really probing deeply into things I thought I had dealt with. And he's saying, no, there's more. There's another level. There's a a deeper digging and a deeper commitment that I want to get to so that I can release what it is I want to do. <clears throat> and he's in there cleaning things up. And it's not just deeper in me or deeper in the church. You'll hear a lot of people talking about the church needs to be cleansed, and yes, it does, because he's coming back for a spotless bride. But it's not just that. It's also a deeper knowledge in the understanding of his love and how much he loves you. So he's trying to, he never takes something out without putting something better in. So there is more. Whatever he's after in you, there's more that he wants to put in you to replace it. And he's pulling everything together and making me look at it honestly. He's handing me a plate and saying, what do you want to do with this? And I have all the Christian language. I know how to say the right thing and do the right thing. Uh, But I notice that a lot of my language sometimes contradicts. It it sounds good in the moment, but it doesn't fit with the whole narrative. It's not consistent. And I can't say that I trust God if I question everything he's doing around me. And I do. We all do. If you read all the blogs, all the articles, they're all questioning what's happening. And this is a trial run. And as he deals with it, we have to make the declaration that we will not go back. We can't go back again because if you go back now, you will not only dull your senses, you will miss what he's doing and you won't be able to, to catch up because he's not going to stop. It's, I think Carol calls it this a quality decision, not just a, an off-the-cuff decision. Romans 8, 28, we're all familiar with It, it says, and we know that those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. It doesn't mean that all things are good. It just means that all things will work together for good. So where is the issue? Why is it that when we start walking, we fail? When we're in a crisis, we do fine. We pull together, you know, you remember 9-11, every church was full and it was going to be full. And I wonder how many people said, God, if you save me from this, I'll never walk back again. And we haven't seen them since 9-17 or 18 somewhere in there, as soon as the airports open back up. So where's the problem with walking? Why is it when we're walking that we we tend to trip? And I believe it's in our mind and in our soul. And Watchman Nee wrote a little book called The Latent Power of the Soul. And he says, the spirit is that which makes us conscious of God and relates us to God. The soul is that which relates to ourselves and gives us self-consciousness. The body it causes us to relate to the world and and C.I. Schofield in his reference Bible which I'm sure many of you have had or seen he explains that the spirit gives God consciousness the soul self-consciousness and the body world consciousness if your spirit for the believer is God conscious its first inkling is to do what God wants its first thing is to think okay this is the father what does he want for me and your flesh is world conscious, so its first thought is, How do I gratify the flesh? And we've we've heard this teaching, you've had it since you were a kid. This is where we have our fight. And so when I say the soul, I'm talking about the mind, the will, and the emotions. And they're interchangeable because all think and all act. But if you're God-conscious on one side and world-conscious on the other, then the real issue has to be the soul and your mind. And I want to suggest that most of us have a very passive mind and a very passive soul. And God doesn't try to redeem your flesh. He tells you to crucify it. And his was crucified, and ours will be too at some point. So uh, using the above-mentioned delineations, it's in any area of my life where the warfare is happening, happening. where the decision is made is my soul. It's in my, in my mind, in my emotions, fear is an emotion. If you make a decision based on fear, you have decided against God with the flesh to be afraid. <clears throat> Andrew, Andrew Murray says it this way in his book, The Spirit of Christ. Says the soul was the meeting place, the point of union between body and spirit. Through the body, man, the living soul, stood related to the external world of sense, could influence it or be influenced by it. The, through the spirit, he stood related to the spiritual world and the spirit of God, whence he had his origin, and could be the recipient and the minister of its life and power. Thus, midway between the two worlds, belonging to both, the soul had the power of determining itself, of choosing or refusing the objects by which it was surrounded. In other words, if you're a believer, you have the Spirit of God, and you also have your own flesh. Your soul, mind, will, and emotions make the choice as who gets preeminence every time. And some of us have a passive soul and a passive mind, and a passive soul is open to outside influence. And it swayed based on the last report that we heard. So if you hear a good report, then you're happy. If you hear a bad report, then you're sad. So it's, it's um, and I see it in me and I see it in some of you. And it's a lack of discipline and a lack of direction. And it comes because you've pulled yourself onto the throne. Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. I put my pages out of order. Hang on. All right, so Ephesians 4.14, if you read it, we normally read it as tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, and we stop there. But it's not just being swayed by doctrine, it's being swayed by men, it's being swayed by other things, by cunning, by craftiness, by deceitfulness, and anything that sways you means that you're, you have a passive mind. You're not supposed to be the recipient who reacts, you're supposed to be the actor based on what God has said. Some synonyms for a passive mind. Lethargic, submissive, inactive. I know I'm guilty of these things a lot. Uh, I'll give you a good example. When I was in middle school, somebody told me that Clint Eastwood was short. And so I believed them. And so there was a gathering a couple weeks later, you know, where everybody's trying to influence people and make friends. And so I just blurted out with all my confidence that Clint Eastwood was short. I forget what we were talking about. But it was the opportune moment to show him what I knew. And then somebody said, "Uh, I think he's 6'3". And I was like, oh. And everybody laughed. That's a passive mind. I took the information. I didn't check it out. I just used it for my own gain, which really didn't help at all. It took me a while to recover from that one. But a passive mind receives things from the world that aren't true or receives things from circumstances that aren't true, and it, it twists the way that you view the Word of God and what he's saying. And going back to the original text, if it wasn't that they hadn't seen miracles or experienced miracles. It's that that can't carry you. The corporate anointing is awesome, but it will not carry you outside the corporate gathering, which is 99% of the time that you're alive. The corporate gathering is just the once a week or once every two weeks that you go to church and be with the group or to a special meeting. The rest of the time, you've got to be able to stand alone. You've got to be able to hear from God yourself And you've got to stop being swayed and challenged by every doctrine and evil spirit that's out there that comes against everything God says and makes you confront it. You need to confront the demon and quit challenging God in his word. Because it never changes. It's always going to be the same. And you know, in uh, Numbers 13, the spies in the land... All of them had experienced everything in the wilderness, and yet only two of them believed God. The other ten chose in their soul to agree with what they saw, which is a great point. You have to be careful because sometimes the anointing will leak out of your eyes. There was a guy here years ago who had a ministry, and I don't know whatever happened to him. His name was Danny Johnson, uh, he was in California. I think he taught in the school of evangelism back in the 80s. Uh, he was driving in California. He saw a policeman, had somebody pulled over, and an uh, ambulance and a bunch of crowd, and God said, I want you to pray for the man. So he walks into the crowd, and the sheriff deputy puts his hand on his chest, says, "Where you go, who do you think you are and where are you going? He said, I'm Danny Johnson. I represent God Most High, and I'm going to pray for this man. So the deputy turns around, parts the crowd, announces him, and as he looks down, they're signing his death certificate. And he said, I had to close my eyes. Otherwise, it was going to challenge what he knew God had said. And the guy did get raised. Oh, yeah. And it's a hilarious story because he said he prayed. The guy lurched. They're shoving him back, saying we have vital signs, and he's trying to get up. And Anyway, <laughs> it was funny. <coughs> So in Numbers, Joshua and Caleb were the only two that engaged their soul and made the choice to agree with what God had said. And we are to take every thought captive. Do you all know what every means? You know what happened yesterday? Yesterday I'm walking around and conscious of, trying to be conscious of every thought, which is really exhausting, just to tell you the truth. Have you ever done that? I mean, it's, it's sort of like when you say, I want, to be, I want to recognize your presence, God. And then you realize, oh, I wasn't thinking about you. Uh, oh, yeah, I wasn't thinking about you. Sorry. I don't know. <laughs> you know, is that practicing the presence. Well, I did the same thing with my thoughts. And it's exhausting. <laughs> and it takes practice. But when you do recognize a thought, you have to take it captive. And you take it captive by stopping it immediately. And then discerning what is this thought, where is it coming from, and why am I having it? And 99% of the time it's because you're fleshly, and your soul likes it. And so it's looking for ways to justify it. It's sort of like when you, you know, Jesus, I, I've always been really slow on evangelism. Because I just, I'm just not, not an evangelist, you know. I'm not going to stand out there and yell at people and, and scream. And I use that personality trait to excuse having to do evangelism. And God's like, no, you you can do it. You just don't have to yell. You can go talk to somebody. You can lead them to the Lord. You can do whatever I ask you to do, but you can't qualify my words before you even act. It's when you act that I'll qualify you. You just be the the blessing and be the person you need to be. 2 Corinthians 10.5 is where it says we take every thought captive to obey Christ, and it destroys every lofty argument or opinion raised against the knowledge of God. You already know a lot about God, and every thought that comes in your mind that is against that, you have to get rid of. Yesterday, I was dumping um, apps that I don't use very often because half the time, whatever pops up isn't that great. It's not edifying. My phone's getting a lot lighter. (laughs) But the thing is, those are the, that's what's getting my attention, or what I watch on TV. Sometimes it'll, it'll go, you know, it's, it's usually not the programs, because I typically don't watch bad programs, but the commercials aren't that great right. uh, anymore, and uh, if a lofty opinion is anything that contradicts him, because he is the highest, so if you have a contradiction of his highest, you are now having a lofty opinion and if I haven't taken time out to find out what he really wants as a believer and if you're not a believer you can be that's my evangelistic message uh, you've already told him that you're more important it's not something you get to decide at a table and then act your actions have already declared exactly where you stand I told you, following your own thoughts are not fun. And right now, most of our problems are that our opinions are higher than God's. And you know what, he doesn't really want my opinion, nor does he care about my opinion. And the whole struggle for many of us is who's in control. And the biggest frustration we have right now is that we can't control our situation. And we've always been in control. We've always added God to what our life was doing, and now we can't. And now you say, no, you're not going to add me to anything anymore. I'm running this show. And uh, do you realize that in the last week, every small g God has been brought low? Sports, business, finance, beaches, Hollywood, any group that exalts itself has been down to nothing and is absolutely not functioning and and we still fight against the king of the universe who's saying "Uh, guys sometimes I think that Jesus just looks at us or looks at me and just shakes his head like how did you get through most of us are more concerned right now with when things are going to get back to normal they can never get back to normal for us This is what God is using to purify us, if we respond correctly, to get us ready, because one day he is coming back, and it will be for a spotless bride. And so in his mercy, he puts his finger on the parts of our soul that don't conform completely to his word, and then he searches and looks and begins to probe and dig and pull it out for your own good. And it hurts, yeah it does, but pain at least lets you know you're still alive you will have opportunity to get back to normal and back to a routine, but you can't because routines make you soft and they make you dull. And I know that for me, routine is can be deadly. I can get into a routine and and function on my own for a long time. There's a movie out that's called A Hidden Life. I don't know if any of you have seen it. I don't know how long it's been out. I just Somebody had recommended it. And I haven't seen it yet, but it's about an Austrian who uh, refused to sign and fight with Hitler and, uh, and the things that he suffered. His name is Franz Jagerstatter, I, with dots over some of the vowels, so I don't know exactly how that's said. And he was faced with execution, and what sustains him is his faith and his love for his wife and daughter. And there's a line in the movie where it said, are you a distant admirer of God or an intimate follower? And distant you know, distant admirers watch from a distance. They're not close. And intimate followers participate. And I've talked to many people who say they want more of God and they're hungry for more. More miracles, more whatever. And if that's true, you must become an intimate follower. You can't be a distant watcher because it will not happen and it's going to cost you something and you really can't get that kind of intimacy from a group. It's got to be from you. You have to initiate this. You have to have that special place with God where you meet him face to face, where there's no barriers, where there's no hidden things, where you're completely transparent and open before him. He already knows. If you would just agree with what he's trying to do, you'll be free. Because freedom isn't a a master plan. It's an acknowledgment that you're bound. And an acknowledgment that he's stronger and you can be free immediately. All you have to do is agree. And this is a question only you can answer. See, I can't get a personal revelation about my condition in a group setting. It's got to be for me. It's got to be me and him. Because everybody's different. I don't know what you struggle with. I don't even have time to think about what you struggle with. I mean, I do have some time now, but I've got other things i got to work on. Uh, but it's a personal, individual thing. So that when when I'm, if you could take a picture of the few of us that are in this room being completely whole and our relationship to God completely transparent, open, honest, we've held nothing back, we sacrifice everything for him, then he would be able to release us into the world. Because until you're that way, sold out, intimate, and having that daily time with him, when that's the most important thing in your life, you'll do anything he says. And until it gets there, you'll qualify everything he says, which means your soul is is passive because you're qualifying it based on your own desires and your own needs. Uh, so there's three areas that engaging your mind and soul will affect. You guys listen so slowly. I'm sorry. Okay, the first is peace. Isaiah 26.3, I saw like 500 posts yesterday, 400 of them had this verse in it so i'm sure it's being preached all over the world and it says you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you and the word there is shalom which we're all familiar with and it's and it's complete it's not just like peace lack of war it's it's complete peace health prosperity peace in everything and it's a it's a an inward sense of wholeness like everything's fine but it's only when your mind is stayed on him if your mind is not stayed on him you will not experience shalom you may experience quiet but when the quiet gets disrupted it will shake you you cannot shake shalom it's an inner housed peacefulness that actually I think you could draw the parallel with, with Hebrews 12 where it says we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Because when you stand firm, when everything's shaking, you you do look different. And people look to you. But your your mind has to stay on him. And Jesus said the same thing in John fourteen twenty seven. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, rather let Neither let them be afraid. And it's the same word in Greek that the Hebrew word for shalom is. So he says the same thing. How does the world give peace? Temporarily, when it's convenient, when there's not a big problem. And it's external. It's based on circumstances. It's based on the things around you. And we define it as an absence of war or quietness. But that's not the peace he's talking about. He's talking about an inner peace that's unshakable. When you align up, uh, when you line up or align your soul with what he's saying exactly, you walk in shalom because there's no no break. Your, your, Your flesh has been cut off and now you've aligned with your spirit. There's nowhere in scripture where he says to align, your, align the flesh. It's only destroy it. Just crucify it and get it over with. But he does want you to uh, align your, your mind with him and your will and your emotions. The second thing that comes when we uh, align our, our will with his is safety. Now here I have a slide just so you know that I am in touch with my feminine side. That's under the shadow of his wings. I don't know who did the painting, uh, but if you could see it, if it was a little bit lighter, you could see it's an extremely serene rest. It's just a complete covering. And uh, so Psalm ninety-one, which you're all familiar with, says, "He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty." Do you realize that every promise in Psalm 91 hangs on verse 1? If you don't get verse 1 right, you can confess the rest of the scripture until you're blue in the face. Because it's only when you are abiding with him that you can claim those promises. Because that's where they exist. It's not like he withholds them from you. They exist there. When you come into him in that kind of relationship, you are safe. And verse 6 specifically mentions pestilence that hides in the dark. And that sounds fairly familiar to what we're hearing these days. I'm not saying it's, you're not going to get sick. And if you are, you know, I pray that you get well quickly. But the fact is that when you're in his covering, you're safe. When you're under his wing, you're covered. It's only when we come out from under that that we are at risk. And we don't come out until we start to fight against what he's trying to do in us. You can't dwell in the shelter of the Most High without a mind that is submitted and engaged with his. 2 Corinthians 10.5, again, bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Hosea 14 is a plea for Israel to return to God. In verse 7, he says, "...they shall return and dwell beneath my shadow." And they shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. And the same is true for us. He's calling us now, come back. Come back underneath and you will flourish. And you'll be under my covering. And you'll be under my wing. And you'll be fine. And he will cover us. That doesn't necessarily mean you won't suffer. Jesus suffered. People suffer. Suffering is part of it, as much as we would rather it wasn't. It is. But it's only in the suffering that you begin to understand the gift and the greatness of what he's done for you. And thirdly, the last, it's not the last, but it's the only one I'm going to talk about, is prosperity. John 3, or third John 2. Beloved, I pray that, that it all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. New King James says it this way, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. How does your soul prosper? By aligning with his word. And when prosperity is a deep truth in the Bible, but prosperity without compassion and love and an acquaintance with suffering becomes greed. Because until you realize that you've been blessed to be a blessing, Genesis 12, it it becomes your possession. So you you don't have to necessarily experience suffering, but you have to be acquainted with it. And that's why so many mission trips are so effective, because you get out of this blessed nation and you see that everybody's not quite so blessed. And uh, it makes you acquainted with suffering so that the compassion and love that's in you allows prosperity to be distributed correctly. And uh, I think it's huge. And I think so many of the promises of God are actually twisted when you don't engage your mind and <clears throat> excuse me, match up <clears throat> completely with what God is saying. <clears throat> Remember the first slide, Jesus says, don't worry about anything. And then we say, well, what about the virus? And <clears throat> Psalm 23.5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. <clears throat> you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Overflowing cup is excess. That's prosperity. And that's for you to be able to give to others. And without love and compassion, you'll hoard. Jesus in Matthew 6: 31 and 33, therefore do not be anxious saying, "What shall we eat? What shall we drink and what shall we wear?" And 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added for you, added to you. You can't do that without actually engaging with him. So I'll finish up with this. Engage your mind and your soul intentionally line up with what God says, and you won't be swayed. But you have to be intentional. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. And I heard a story of uh, Cory Ten Boom which I'm sure most of you are familiar with, and her and her sister were uh, arrested, taken to a prison camp, one of the worst ones in Nazi Germany. And Betsy, the sister, told Corey, we need to give thanks for everything here. And it was very infested with fleas. And so Corey agreed, and they gave thanks every morning, uh, but she couldn't do the fleas. And Betsy insisted And then one day, Corey said, "Okay, well, I'll thank God for the fleece. So uh, she thanked him. They thanked him for the fleece. And later on, they started Bible studies and realized that the guards weren't bothering them at all. They didn't even come in while they were having their Bible studies. And uh, they found out later that one of the other people said, yeah, they don't come in this room because of the fleece. (laughs) And so they were able to have their Bible study. I'm sure it wasn't pleasant, but they were able to do it. So in everything, give thanks, and that will guard your, your mind, your will, and your emotions in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean everything is good. It just means that in it, if you can be, remain thankful, then you can accomplish everything he needs you to accomplish, and the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. And the last verse, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there are any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And apply that to all your thoughts, to your political thoughts, to your uh, coronavirus thoughts, to your work thoughts, your personal thoughts, your organizational thoughts, to all your thoughts. If you apply that to all your thoughts, you'll be safe. You'll be able to walk in complete harmony and tandem with the Lord. And you will dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. And and then if it gets rough, close your eyes. Because you're safe. And it's in the presence of your enemies that God prepares the table. And he will always be there if you're with him. But he won't always be there if you're walking away. He'll wait. And that's unfortunately a dangerous place.